Let's, uh, let's begin our time with prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the things that you brought us through this last week, for the way you sustained us, for the way you demonstrated your faithfulness. And we look, our Father, to you for daily instruction and wisdom as we face the future. We recognize that the unforeseen are often the things that concern us, cause anxiety, cause frustration. And we ask our Father that we would be confident as your children to recognize that you are in total control of every aspect of our life and that nothing comes into our life that is a surprise to you, although it is a surprise to us. We pray, our Father, that we would be the kind of people who are good children of God. We ask that as we study your word today and as we look at the aspects of truth that you have contained in your word, that it will mold our thinking and cause our behavior to be the kind of thing that is pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Okay, uh, quickly, let me, if I may, review some things. Uh, the whole nutshell of the book of Romans is wrapped up right here, where he is dividing the book into three things that we will face when we are in the midst of trials. He wants us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And I am suggesting to you that the book of James is wisdom literature. It's how to live as a child of God. And this is the thing that he wants us to be very, very concerned about. And this is, this is what wisdom as a born-again believer is virtually all about. So uh, how do we live as people that please God? I have suggested to you that as you look at the uh, Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, and then as you look at the New Testament Greek scriptures, uh, that there are certain books that seem to evidence the idea of wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is the key book. And it's not telling us how to uh, become a child of God, it's telling us how to behave as a child of God. And so uh, when we look at the usages of the word wisdom and see them in the Old Testament, we see that Proverbs has the most usages, we see that Ecclesiastes has the next, and then we see that the book of Job has the next. And uh, when we come to the New Testament, we have kind of the same kind of thing where the book of Corinthians, Corinthians were born again believers, but they were not acting wisely. And he says, folks, as Christian people, as children of God, wise up. And then, of course, we have Colossians uses the word wisdom and James uses the word wisdom. I am defining wisdom as the practical application of godly knowledge to the experiences of life as a Christian. So God takes this information, he wants it to filter, uh, he wants for it to filter 
through us and then be lived out in our life experiences. Now, as we come to the text for today, we are in the section of slow to wrath. And if you have your Bible, take it and turn to James chapter 4 for our study for today. James chapter 4. The emphasis is being slow to wrath. As we looked at this last week, we noticed that in the midst of trials, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of difficulties, we can have conflict with born again believers. And he says in chapter four, verse one, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? That's a question. Uh, where does this stuff come from? And the place where it comes from is clearly we have expectations that we want met. We have pleasures that we want to enjoy. And oftentimes these are the things that are warring inside of us. And so he tells us when you come to this section of scripture that wrath is created by worldliness. Worldliness involves basically two things, an attitude of the way you think and the behavior that comes out of that attitude. If there is one thing that will characterize all humanity, <coughs> believers as well as unbelievers, it is selfishness. We are all incredibly selfish. Whenever you see a photo, a group photo, and you know you are in it, who is the first person you look to? You make sure you're there and that you're smiling and that you're, everything is right. We're selfish people. We're self-centered people. That's just part of us. It's something that we have to live down. The way to get over wrath and self-centeredness is through humility. And he starts talking about that when you come down to verse 6. Because he says, he gives greater grace. I find it particularly interesting that the way to get over yourself is to recognize the overwhelming grace of God that has been demonstrated to every one of us. Uh, does anybody understand that? We all do, don't we? As soon as we recognize how good God has been to us and has as good as God is being to us, the grace of God literally overwhelms us. And he says that when you come down to verse 5, when he says, do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit 
which he has made to dwell in us. God's Holy Spirit lives within us. The Spirit of God desires to control us, to influence us. And when the Spirit of God is not influencing us, there is a jealousy on the part of God. Is jealousy wrong? Absolutely not. When it's focused on the right thing, when it's focused on the thing that is important to God. And the thing that's important to God is that we be his property, minding his ways, his will. So as we go on, humility brings repentance from sin uh, because pride is sin. He goes on and he tells us that the thing that is important for us is to realize that the nature of true repentance involves all these things. Now, I want to uh, not beat a, uh, beat a drum too much, but I want to say that as I understand the book of James, he's writing to born-again believers. And it is possible for born-again believers to get so far away from God and so contrary to the ways and wishes of God that this needs to be part of the habit of born-again believers constantly. I do not think that this is the kind of thing that we do to become a child of God, but this is the kind of thing that we should regularly do because we are children of God. Does everybody understand the distinction I just made? It's important because repentance and modification of behavior and modification of attitudes is something that we as growing born again believers need to constantly work on as when a person becomes a born again believer if they come out of a pagan society if they come out of a society that has vir virtually no understanding of biblical truth and knowledge of God, they're not going to know how to act. They really aren't. It is a growing process to figure out from the scriptures how we are to behave as God's children. And so when we confront an attitude, an action that God's displeased with, we've got to deal with it. You know, it is interesting that a lot of time, and I heard these phrases from uh, speakers over the years, uh, lapse of time does not convert guilt to innocence. You understand what I'm saying? Just because something was done way, way back there, you may have forgotten about it. Others may have forgotten about it, but God hasn't. And it's important for us to deal with that and just recognize, hey, that was sinful behavior. <clears throat> Another interesting thing that's important for us to realize is that public sin and private sin have no distinction whatever. Public sin and private sin are equally repugnant 
to God. Lewis Ferry Chafer used to say, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven, which is kind of sobering. There's no secrets about what goes on in our life in heaven. Now, does that mean that we're not going to sin here on earth? Oh, trust me. We all <laughs> sin. We all disappoint ourselves as well as God. How do you deal with it? Right here. Right here. You acknowledge it. You remember that phrase in the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We're all there. There's not a day that goes by that we should not recite and recall that phrase and realize, hey, here's the way out. Here's the way out. So what's the difficulty? The cure for pride and arrogance is to be overwhelmed by the grace of God. Uh, that's the remedy. God gives grace to the humble. It's interesting that when you look at the Old Testament scriptures from Proverbs chapter 6, we learn seven things that are an abomination to God, and I have always been struck, and you have always been struck, that the first thing on the list is pride. The very first thing. A proud look. A haughty look. Uh, no one in this room is immune. We're all there. We're all there. Now let me ask, does the Old Testament deal with pride? It sure does. Here are a couple verses. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit among the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. God loves humility. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Everyone that has a proud heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Where do you think James got the idea that pride was a problem? He was a student of the Old Testament. He was a student of the book of Proverbs. As a child that was probably growing up in a staunch Jewish home, he probably knew Proverbs. And as many of you probably have heard over and over again, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. One of the great spiritual medicines that we can participate in is to read a chapter of Proverbs every day that corresponds with the month, or excuse me, the day of the month. Here it is, right here. But you know, another interesting thing is where did pride come from? Uh, last week, reference was, or no, not last week, but uh, when Tim was talking, he was talking about the uh, 
the origin of Satan, and obviously that is over in Ezekiel chapter 28. Here's the attitude that Satan had. He says, how are you fallen from heaven? O star of the morning, that's his title. Son of the dawn, you have been cut down to earth. You have weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, and then five things that Satan said in his mind, all of them have to do with pride. All of them have to do with pride. So Satan is the father of lies. Satan is the father of pride as well. Now, let me ask the question. And I'm not trying to psychologize any of this, but what is the difference between pride and confidence? Anybody want to take a stab at that? I have no agenda in asking that question. I'm just curious to know what some of you think. Mr. Hoover, about an be eighth, careful. About an eighth of an inch. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the most profound thing that we have heard today, including everything I had said. About an eighth of an inch. Are you sure it's that much? I, no, I am not. <laughs> That's about a small. Uh, I don't know I can see. Yes, ma'am. I think uh, the difference I would think would be something like um, what your confidence is in, or what you're prideful about. You could be confident in the Lord, but if you're confident in yourself and independent of the Lord, there's the line. It's a good point. The object of your confidence. Anybody else want to make a comment? Uh, yes, ma'am. Go ahead. I think if you're prideful, you're boastful. You, you, you boast about it. You want other people to know. And if you're confident, you're, you're okay. And uh, you don't have to brag about yourself. Right. Pride starts with an I. I'm sorry? Pride starts with an I. It's all about I. I do this, I do that. Confidence doesn't. It usually starts with God. Yep. Couple other comments. Anybody? I know you're all thinking of something. <laughs> okay, we've had several comments over on that side. We need a couple <laughs> comments over here. <laughs> well, confidence comes from the knowledge of that you can accomplish something. You have the confidence that you can do that. So that's not anything boastful or being about it, but it's the knowledge that you can do something. Pride is the boasting of that knowledge. Uh, that's an excellent point. Excellent point. And all of these comments have been good, especially the eighth of an inch one. Although I would say it's a 30 seconds of an inch, so. <laughs> uh, you know, and quite frankly, all of us in this room have heard of situations where families have been destroyed because of pride and churches have been destroyed and organizations have been destroyed because of pride. People thinking they know best and they're unwavering, absolutely unwavering. Any other comments? <clears throat> yes, Harry, go ahead. On a more serious, but you know, that's one of the problems with success is that with success comes pride if we're not careful. 
That's a good point. And, you know, all of us are very much aware most of us could not really handle success well. We really can't. Uh, we think we can, particularly we, when we're on the far side of it. Uh, I should say on this side of it. <laughs> so, uh, I think a great illustration in the Old Testament is Joseph, because here is the pathway of humility that Joseph went through. He's uh, captured by his brothers, sold into slavery. Uh, he is sold off at an auction. He finally gets to a place where he is in prison. And every step that he goes through, these bumps downward, cascading downward, he's being humiliated. Uh, I. I don't know if very many of us could go through this kind of stuff, but what is it that God does for him? Joseph is exalted. Uh, he makes known his dream, and then finally the apex is where, as the prime minister of Egypt, he is able to greet his ailing father. And uh, it's, it's a process. And if you check the... Uh, the time sequence, how old was Joseph when he was sold into slavery by his brothers? Anybody know? 17. 17. How old was Joseph when he became prime minister? Anybody? 30 years old. So that's quite a ways. And you know, it's interesting when he is young, that's when he had to experience all this. And uh, all I know is when you're young, you want everything to go your way. <laughs> and you find out later, it hasn't. Uh, interesting, interesting thing. All right, now, the next thing is slow to wrath. Humility brings repentance from sin. If we are humble, God's going to exalt us. But then the next thing humility brings is restraint of speech. Look, if you will, at verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, and one who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you who judge your neighbor? Uh, all of us love to talk about people occasionally in a negative way, because it doesn't fit our style, doesn't fit our method, doesn't fit our procedure. And one of the things that happens in the life of any church family, and by the way, he is talking about situations in a church family, is that we have a tendency to be overzealous with regard to 
people who do things we don't like. I mentioned a couple weeks ago this particular book. It is a book entitled Well-Intentioned Dragons in the Church. In my personal experience, this was a book that was just kind of sweeping the country among Christian leaders in the mid-1980s. And uh, when uh, Leadership Magazine produced this, uh, a man named Bruce Shelley out of Denver Seminary is the one that wrote it. Uh, so many individuals identified with so many of the situations that are talked about in this book. Well-intentioned people, they saw something they didn't like, they thought they were right, and so they started putting the rumor mill into operation. And there were a lot of Christian leaders and church leaders that suffered greatly as a result of people just not holding their tongue. And James tells us, don't speak evil. Don't speak evil. If there's something you don't like in another Christian, hard as it is, he tells us, keep it to yourself. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough in the area of, <clears throat> now I'm going to get real nitty-gritty already. It's tough in the area of, say, Christian music. <clears throat> when Satan fell, he fell into the where? Where did Satan fall when he fell? He fell into the choir loft. All of you know that, don't you? <laughs> he fell into the praise band. <clears throat> That's not to go out of this room. <laughs> he, he fell into the church program. He fell into all of these other things. But you name it, every church family has areas in church life that you could eventually and potentially talk evil about. I was in conversation just this last week with a pastor. Uh, in fact, I, I won't try to get too, uh, too, I don't want you to know who it is. Uh, first of all, there are a couple pastors uh, in the Intermountain area that have been in this area for years and years and years and years. And there's essentially kind of a retirement that both of these pastors are going through. And I was talking to one of them, and he said, you know, I have been in ministry now for 35 years, and he says, I'm just tired of the politics of church life. We all understand that, don't we? If you've been in church life for any length of time or have been through any kind of conflicts, there's politics in church life. And that's where that evil speaking surfaces. Because there's always going to be something that could be improved and there's always going to be the quote unquote do-gooder that says, I have a better idea. 
course, they want everybody else to implement it. They don't want to be involved, but anyway, class dismissed. No. <laughs> what happened here? All right. Did I, uh, did I hit a button here? I think I did, didn't I? All right. Time out. There All right. All right. The next thing we're going to go to is slow to wrath. And the final thing is humility brings reluctance to boast. There are two areas that we can very easily <laughs> boast about. Uh, and this starts out in verse 13. And you will notice in verse 13, it starts out by saying, come now. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1, it says, come now. So these two sections are related because they are dealing with material things. They're dealing with materialism. And he says, come now, you who say, tomorrow, or excuse me, today, tomorrow, we shall go and such and such a city, spend a year there, and engage in business and make a profit. Now, the thing that he's talking about here specifically is humiliation does not boast about tomorrow. Why is it that humiliation should not boast about tomorrow? Because he is essentially saying, you have no idea what the future is going to bring. If most of you are a little older and in the throes of retirement, you understand the nest egg that retired people have. And most of us in this room have a retirement program. And that retirement program is based on the savings and the money that you have set aside, hoping it will last until the rest of your life so that your children don't get it and gobble it all up and waste it. I threw that last party in. But it's well said. <laughs> yes. Uh, although there is a verse in the Bible that says we're supposed to leave some money to our children. You understand that, don't you? Good. You understand that, don't you, Harry? No, that's kidding. I don't want to pick on Harry. Uh, but the thing that's interesting is that the whole idea is that we have no idea what the future really holds. We really don't. I, I, I'll make no bones about it. I have been quietly investing for 60 years. Not much. Hey, I don't have that much money. But I've, I've depended on the principle of compounding. And so I understand that. But every time I talk to a, quote, financial advisor, are they really, that, that is the most inappropriate name for those guys, you know? <laughs> financial advisor. No, it's the financial leech. That, but that's, that's another story. Uh, Humility. How's that? <laughs> I didn't hear what you said, Harry. I said, Humility. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, listen. Uh, by the way, those of you who have done investing in the past, is there anybody in here that has not lost money? 
<laughs> We've all so there's the humility, Harry, right there. Uh, you remember one of the classic things the financial advisors tell you? Past performance is no guarantee of future results. That's that's their classic line. That is their back door out of the problem. And you know, one of the interesting things that all of us experience at our age is we're hoping for the best. And there's nothing wrong with that. I will have to tell you, and I'm speaking, uh, I'm speaking from experience, all right? Uh, back in 2013, the summer of 2013, I retired as full-time pastor of this church. And one of the pressing questions that I had is, am I going to make it financially? Because that income was completely, <coughs> boom, it ended abruptly. <laughs> and uh, I thought to myself, I don't know if I'll have enough to make it. Now, it's not because of any strategies that I have done, but I will have to tell you that God in his goodness and his grace, even though through that period of time, some of those resources disappeared <clears throat> mysteriously, there's still been enough to sustain us. And you know, that's one of the things that you have to count on God on because he goes on and he says a little bit further on when we come down to verse 15 instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we shall live and also do this or that you know it's based on the will of God this is a reference to the sovereign will of God the sovereign will of God is the secret about the future, and we're never to ask God, or now God, I want, to, I want to do your will. Reveal that will to me. That's, that's not what uh, he's talking about here. He's talking about that secret will of God, and we just say, God, I am depending on you. I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm putting my resources in your hands. You have promised to take care of me. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what the process is going to be. I don't know what the procedure is going to be. But you know what's best. And whatever comes into my life, I will accept as, quote, your will. We've all been there. And the reason we have to have this particular attitude is because life is like a vapor. And he says that in this passage. It's like a vapor. Uh, I've always been amazed at the idea of a vapor because it just doesn't last long, does it? You boil that water, it fogs up the window a little bit, but it's gone. That's what, that's what life is. That's what our life is. Now, obviously, God loves us. God cares for us, but the attitude that we have to have is that 
That's the duration of life right there. That's the duration of life. Another thing that we go on and we discover is that not only does humility not boast about tomorrow, but humility does not abuse material wealth. If God gives us finances, we're not to abuse it. And he goes on and he says that to us when you come down to chapter five, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. you your riches have rotten, rotted, your garments have become moth-eaten, your gold and your silver have rusted. I didn't know gold and silver could rust it, but apparently uh, back in those days, it was able to rust because of the process of refinement. I do not know. But the whole point is that he's making is that all of this is going to end. And now, let me give you a little interesting thing. There's the money, all right? And you can't live without it. Can't live with it either, but can't live without it. Gotta have it. Uh, when we put our trust in that, One of the things that we are forgetting is that it's not going to last forever. Now, just kind of a history lesson here. Uh, and uh, I didn't know what direction this class would take. But uh, how many of you have seen a $1,000 bill? You have? Oh, at a casino, right? <laughs> you passed a thousand dollars. I said, you said, have you seen? Okay, I, that, you're right, Harry. You're right. And uh, they went out of circulation in 1969. Uh, they were here for a little while. How many of you have seen a one hundred thousand dollar bill? Oh, that says, okay, you're right. That says, that says 10,000. Uh, does anybody know who this guy is on the picture? You can't. He's a vaporizer. He's a vapor. <laughs> he's, he's gone all right. Uh, he, he is a vapor. It's Chase. Chase. Does anybody know who Chase was? He's not a banker. Chase was the uh, Secretary of the Treasury during Abraham Lincoln. I know that all of you wanted to know that. The next bill, how many have you ever seen this bill? Of course you have. I haven't, but Robert Canal, who is now ceased, but he has seen those and he said they were used between banks to pay notes between the banks. Before the internet. Yes. Yep. You're right. That's exactly, and, so and that's and that's what this statement down here says. Now, I, I've just thrown all that in, just uh, just kind of as a humorous uh, uh, detour. But you know, one of the interesting things is, according to this passage, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. It's going to just absolutely waste away. And isn't it interesting that? When we put confidence in something that isn't going to last, we're the ones that are going to be disappointed. 
And when we put confidence in something that is eternal, that's the safe route. And clothes. Clothes. Some of us have nice clothes. Others of us have clothes. But they're all going to disappear. Those nice garments that we have, they don't last. They don't last. And so God says to us, beware of what we put our confidence in. Don't boast about tomorrow. Don't boast about material things that you have because it's a form of arrogance. And God says, when these two things do not materialize in our life, plans that we've made for the future, constant confidence that we put in other things, money, clothes, finances, we'll be disappointed because it's all going to disappear. All going to disappear. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? We just don't want it to disappear in our lifetime, but guess what? It does. It does. Any comments or questions? Yes, ma'am. A little bunny trail here. Talking about clothes. I said to Pauline Thatcher a couple of weeks ago, she had this cute belt on, and I said, is that a new belt? And she said, are you kidding me? I'm 80. You don't buy anything new after you're 70. You're wasting your money. <laughs> yes, how true that is. How true that is. Although you always want to have a good pair of socks, all right? When your socks get a hole in them, you got to go get a new pair. All right. Hey, thank you, folks. Appreciate it. We are dismissed. <laughs>